This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Rob Tombrella is a pastor at Grace Church and the speaker on this message. If you're joining us for the very first time, we're in a series called Refocus, which is really just an opportunity for us to gaze into what is our purpose as, as a church called Grace Church. And we're defining that uh, very clearly as our purpose is to make disciples who love Jesus, who love his church, and who love his world. And every one of those words is extremely important to us. We don't want to just know about Jesus. We don't want to just have a correct knowledge about him. We want to know him, and we want to know him deeply. We want to be a people who know him intimately and worship him uh, both corporately and, and personally. We want to be family. We don't want to just be a club, a place where people come and hang out and high-five each other. We want to be family where we love each other and care for each other and meet each other's needs. And today we're talking about we want to be an outreach into the cities, into the nations, and into the neighborhoods of the world as an extension of God's love for the world. And that's what it means both to be a disciple and to make disciples. It starts with a love for God. It flows out to the family of God, and it goes from there all the way out to the nations and into the neighborhoods all around us. So today, we're in Matthew 9, and uh, we're going to look at three aspects of the life of Jesus. Specifically, I'm just going to lay them out here, and then we're going to walk through them together. His ministry, his motive, and his mission. His ministry, his motive, and his mission. Those are kind of the handlebars of uh, today's message. And... um, I'm a preacher, so I just love to give those, those alliteration, those ministry, motive, mission things, so you can uh, hold on to that. So we're going to look at those three things, and then we're going to ask the question, what does that mean for us practically? What, how should our lives change or, or be different based on his ministry, based on his motive, and based on his mission? So we're going to read it, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get going. Matthew nine thirty five says this, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and Villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray together. Father, we need the gift of the eyes of Jesus. We need the mind of Christ so that we can see what we're supposed to see. And when we see what we're supposed to see, we want to feel the way we're supposed to feel. And then, God, we want to take action and actually do what you would have us to do. And it's so difficult to take action and do the things that we know we're supposed to do without that miracle of sight, Lord, without that, that ability to see as we're supposed to, and then that, that gift of feeling the way that we're supposed to feel. So would you help us, Lord, as we look at your word, would you let it shape us and change us in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. Ministry, motive, mission. Let's look at his ministry starting in verse 35. Notice the rhythm of the life of Jesus. He's in Galilee at this time. That was the main place that he started and fulfilled his miracles and ministered to people. And notice the rhythm. Jesus went throughout 
all the cities and villages. Notice it's expansive. No village left out. No city left out. It's, it's, it's going everywhere. And you'll also see it here in a moment. It's expansive in the way that he's healing every disease and every affliction. So it's, it's spreading. He's going everywhere. No, nobody left out. No city left out. No village left out. And it's also strategic. Notice that he goes to the synagogues. He goes throughout all the cities and villages and he targets his teaching ministry, notice, in their synagogues, teaching in their synagogues. So in every village and in every city, he targets a specific place. Now, why did he go to the synagogue? Well, the synagogue was sort of the campus of the temple. They didn't do sacrifices there, but the Jewish people would worship God there. And three things about a synagogue, every synagogue, no matter what city, whatever village, there was always going to be a crowd there. There was always going to be a spiritually expectant people there in varieties of degrees, just like any church service today. There's an expectation of the crowd, and there's a diverse group of people there. There's rich, there's poor, uh, there's socially uh, people who are just with it in society, and then there's, there's people that are on the fringes of society. But it makes it a strategic place because it's a spiritually fertile place. So it's something to note that Jesus would go to the lowest hanging fruit And he would begin his ministry there. And his disciples later on will do the exact same thing. He'll send his disciples out and he'll say, go to the most spiritually fertile places and then spread out from there. So it's strategic. Notice that it's also different. His ministry is different than the scribes and the Pharisees. Notice he's teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel. That's a good news announcement He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now, the kingdom is the good news announcement of the reign or the rule of God over evil and over darkness. So he stands out over the crowds and he's proclaiming good news. He's announcing something. He's heralding that God has come, that the kingdom has come. And because the kingdom has come, the blessings of the rule of God for those who will submit to the rule of God is available and open to anybody. Anyone can experience life with God under the rule of God and and experience the blessings of God. And that's a good news announcement. Everybody's got a pitch. Everybody's got a slogan. Everybody's got a commercial. Everybody's trying to win a following. And Jesus comes proclaiming something far better God is on the scene and darkness and evil must submit and the good life is available to everybody who will submit to Jesus. Now this teaching and this proclamation ministry came as one who had authority. That was the reputation. When this guy proclaims, he does not proclaim as the scribes, not as the scribes, his reputation went. For this man speaks with authority. It's as if he's been from the place that he's communicating about. And you know the difference. You know, I can talk all day long about Disneyland in California, but until I've been to Disneyland in California, I don't speak as one with authority. Well, Jesus comes on the scene, not as their scribes, teaching from his own experience and ushering in the kingdom as he does this. And notice that his ministry is holistic. It's not just word or proclamation or teaching ministry, as important as that is. Notice what else he does. 
and healing every disease and every affliction. So to be holistic means that you're taking all the factors into consideration about what this individual or what this crowd needs. And Jesus does that. He's he's holistic in that he's teaching them and proclaiming to them the good news and speaking to them truth. And he says, truth, it will set you free. Truth will set you free. But as he's teaching, he understands that people need it demonstrated and shown to them because we're a show and tell people. You see, we never graduated really from, the, from kindergarten. You remember kindergarten, show and tell? You get asked to, to get up and, and, and both tell something about it, but you got to show. You got to show what this thing is. And that's what Jesus does. He comes showing the kingdom, not just talking about it. And we can slip into a, a fundamental mistake happens all over evangelical landscape of choosing between, are we going to show the gospel in, in mercy and, and demonstrate the gospel that way? Or are we going to talk about it? And oftentimes uh, people are tempted to think, well, we have to choose one way or the other. Well, Jesus did not choose between those two things. He both taught and he healed every disease and every affliction. Now notice in verse 35, there is an implicit, an implicit, radical invitation of Jesus to all people. He healed every disease and every affliction, even of those people who did not yet believe in his claims of deity. Even of those people who will later deny his claims of deity and and, and by denying, choose not to follow Jesus as king ushering in the kingdom. And it's mysterious. It's marvelous to see that. And it's challenging to see this in some respect. Would this not be a waste for him to heal those who are afflicted if they choose not to follow Jesus? Well, Jesus has said earlier in Matthew that it is no waste that his father shows his love towards the evil and the good. His father sends rain on those who are doing just and those who are doing unjust. Apparently, he is not afraid of wasted resources. He's not afraid of extravagantly loving those who doubt him. He's not afraid of those who will take his gifts and abuse his gifts and turn away from him. He's not afraid of those who will deny him. He invites to the closest inner circle, knowingly, an individual who will deny him. Actually, all of them will deny him, but one in particular who he pours mercy and grace out on for years. But it is no waste to Jesus. You see, with Jesus, no matter who you were, no matter what you did, no matter what you were going to do, you could experience the kingdom before you believed in the king. You could experience the kingdom if you never believed in the king. And throughout the gospels, the disciples, like us, get this exactly wrong. They are very concerned 
about wasting the kingdom on the wrong kind of people. So you remember what they say to Jesus. Seemingly compassionate. Seemingly intelligent. Jesus, send the crowds away. Because we, we want to care for them and we love them. So send them away and he has to rebuke them. They say, Jesus, send the kids away. That's a wasted resource of the kingdom to be spending that and to be sharing that with kids. And he says, let all the children come to me. He, they say, send the Gentiles away. In fact, they ask Jesus at one point, pretty crazy, uh, Lord, would you like us to ask God to send you know, fire down on these Gentiles who aren't receiving you? And he immediately turns and has to rebuke his disciples. That, that was their concern. Isn't this wasted? They marvel at how Jesus invites tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and adulterers and the super religious to experience the kingdom even with their doubts. You might be here today and you say, I've got a lot of doubts. And I, and I, don't, I don't know what I think about Jesus I don't know what I think about what we've been seeing about resurrection, forgiveness of sins. You know, I don't know if I believe everything in the Bible. Genesis 3, a talking snake. What is that? What are you guys talking about? You could be here and you could have a, a ton of doubts. And can I just, just communicate on, on behalf of what this text is saying is that Jesus is not afraid of your doubts and we are not afraid of your doubts. And you are welcome here to experience the kingdom even if you don't believe. This is a place for you. You can belong here before you believe. Even if you never believe, we welcome you here. He taught the disciples that that the kingdom or that life with God is to be shared with anyone, no matter if they believe in God or not. That's the expansiveness and the rhythm of his ministry. But you could ask the question, well, why is that? And that gets to his motive in verse 36. Why does he think this way? Why is he moved this way? Look at verse 36. Here's his motive. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Notice the the progression here in verse 36. He sees... He feels because he sees what's there. He sees what's really there. So he sees not like we often see. The Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And Jesus, being fully God, can see the spiritual condition where we are just completely blinded to it, where the disciples are completely blinded. He sees and he feels compassion because of their condition. Now, to feel compassion means to enter the suffering of another. That's, that's what you, you know if you're compassionate, not if you say, well, I'm a really compassionate person. You're a compassionate person when you enter into the sufferings and you empathize and you sympathize with what that person is experiencing. Not to its fullest degree, but in some measure, you're experiencing that. Well, Jesus can look out over the crowds and see their condition and enter into their suffering. 
Now, please don't let the truth that God doesn't have emotions exactly like us lead you to the erroneous conclusion that Jesus has no emotions at all. That would not be true anywhere in Scripture, and it wouldn't be true here. Out of the fullness of his love for people, he is able to enter into the sufferings of another, not out of weakness, but out of fullness. Well, why is that? Well, notice what the text says. Here's why it is. Here's their actual condition. They were harassed and they were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. They were vulnerable. They were open to attack. He says all of them were sheep. All of them are sheep, and all of them are sheep without a shepherd, which is the worst condition you can have in the New Testament, is to be a sheep without a shepherd. You can say, well, I'm not, am I a sheep? The Bible says that you are a sheep, that we are all sheep, and we're either sheep with a shepherd or without a shepherd. Well, he looks out at the crowd and says, these are, these are sheep without a shepherd, and in that condition... And that actual condition, despite what their outward appearance says, they were harassed and they were helpless. They were under attack and they didn't know it. They were living in ignorance and in darkness. And the same is true of you if you don't have a shepherd. See, the Bible says that we are all sheep who have gone astray and gone our own way by choice. So it's not like somebody came to you and says, here's an op- here's options. And, uh, you know, why don't you choose option B and you're going to go astray. See, you and I have chosen to, to try to live life outside of God's good rule for us. So we try to live life independently. And this is a, this is a condition of every single person. And when we do that, we're vulnerable. We're open to attack. We wander. We go astray. We go astray into all kinds of different areas. All of us have a story here today of how we tried to find life outside of the good rule of God. We went astray and we blew it. We blew it. You blew it. And I blew it. If you don't have Jesus as your shepherd, you're harassed and you're helpless. And if you were just to ask kind of the average citizen of North Dallas, what is your greatest fear today? What do you think they'd say? I mean, just the news. What's your greatest fear today? Probably Ebola, right? Look, I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned or careful or, you know, take appropriate precautions. I don't think we should give in to hysteria for sure. But uh, it's serious for sure. But if you're a sheep without a shepherd, your condition is far worse than having Ebola. In fact, if you were in Monrovia right now and you had Ebola and your family had Ebola, like thousands do right now, but you're a sheep with a shepherd, you're with a shepherd, your condition is far better, far better, far safer far more secured, far more at peace than anybody in North Dallas without a shepherd. Better than your condition without a shepherd. So you think you're experiencing life, but you're not experiencing life. 
You think if I had a shepherd, if I lived under the shepherding of Jesus, then that would be slavery. But you're under slavery right now and you don't know it. You're in the darkness and you walk in the darkness. And you don't know this because the darkness has blinded your eyes. See, the Bible says that there's a disease called sin that just causes us to do stupid stuff. It talks about this this way in, in Jeremiah. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. That's, that's how God is described in the Bible. A fountain of living water for the thirsty and the parched soul. For the person who needs to experience life on the inside. God says, I'm that life. I'm a fountain of living water for everybody, for you. But because of the sin and the sickness inside of us, we commit the evil of forsaking the fountain of living water. And then we do the exact opposite and hew out cisterns for ourselves, cisterns that are broken that can hold no water. So thirsty as all get out, we deny the the one place that we can find satisfaction, the one place where we can find drink and life. And we say no to that, no to that shepherd. And instead, I'm going to go carve out a well, that's what a cistern is, in the desert. And I'm just going to dig and dig and dig and dig down into this desert sand. And I'm going to put my cup down in there and pull up the sand and with my parched lips try to drink that sand down. Well, God looks over that and he says, why would you do that? Why would you hew out broken cisterns? Well, we we do that because we're broken on the inside. And we're sheep without a shepherd. And unless the shepherd comes and pulls us in and shows us where to find drink, we won't find it on our own. We'll be helpless and harassed. And our condition is far worse than any kind of disease that we could contract. Guess what? You've got the disease. You've got something in you that's worse than Ebola. You do. I I do. And the only solution, the only remedy is the blood of Jesus over us and the life of Jesus in us. You got to have both. You got to be forgiven and pardoned of all of your sins because of the blood of Jesus, because of faith in Jesus that's available to everybody by simple childlike faith. And then you've got to have the life of Jesus living in you. It's pardon and it's power. And that's what the gospel offers to us through relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's his motive. It's love. For God so loved the world. For God so loves you that he offers himself to you today. And you can take his nail-scarred hands and say yes to a relationship with God but you've got to recognize that you've got the sickness and you need to turn away from your broken cisterns. Well, let's, let's look at his mission in verse 37 through 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, isn't it interesting that, that Jesus instructs them after he says, look out over how vast the harvest field is. Isn't it interesting that he instructs them to pray instead of just go? I mean, it's almost like, you know, uh, 
the house is so incredibly messy and you've got guests coming over, so let's pray. You know, it's almost, are you serious? No, we need to, they're coming at two o'clock. We got to get this thing done. We got to clean this thing up. There's a lot of opportunity in front of us. We're motivated by your love and we got to get after it. But he instead says, whoa, 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 cowboy. You need to stop and you all need to hit your knees and pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Here's what your ministry is going to be. Don't, don't go. Don't go yet. But pray that God would send others. Now, why? What, what, what does that teach the disciples and what does that teach us? Well, I think it teaches them the size and the scope of the project. It's one thing when you say, there's a hill over there. Go take the hill. Go charge the hill. Go climb the hill. And you look at the hill and you say, okay, I think I can do it. You know, you get excited about that. And you can just charge after that hill with little preparation, little resources. Yeah, we, we got this. But it's altogether different if it's Everest. If the size and the scope of the hill is actually Everest, you take a step back and you hit your knees and you gather your resources because of the size of the project and because of the scope of the project and because of the difficulty of the, pro- of the project. Uh, Jesus says, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. He never gets away from this picture that you're sheep and you're lambs. It's not like we're, we're really muscular, awesome lambs and sheep. <laughs> we're just Jason Bourne kind of sheep. You're never a Jason Bourne kind of sheep in the scriptures. There's only like one awesome hero, and that's Jesus, and everybody else are these little sheep. And that's us. We're just little sheep. He says, I'm sending you out as lambs, as lambs. You would, you would like to think that you're going to be bigger or better or badder than that, but you're not. You're a lamb in the midst of wolves. But I'm sending you out anyway. I'm sending you out in your weakness. And the size and the scope of the project is huge. And the attacks coming at you is going to be real. You're going to feel it. You're going to feel it daily. You're going to feel it weekly. You're going to feel it monthly. You're going to feel it your entire life. Anybody feeling it today? Anybody feeling it? The size is huge. The scope is huge. The project is huge. We're climbing Everest here. That's the mission in front of us. That's the call to go into the nations and into the neighborhoods. And when we get the size and the scope, we hit our knees. And we say, God, help us. It's huge. Prayer also teaches us to think in terms of developing others. See, it would be really a big temptation of these disciples to say, you've selected us, you've chosen us, you're sending us out, and we're going to do amazing and awesome things for the kingdom. And they're going to write about us, and they're going to create statues about us, and all those kinds of things. And they're not thinking at that point about multiplication and multiplying disciples and pouring into other people. If, we ha- if we're going to make disciples the way Jesus says, prayer teaches us it's about developing others. The size, the scope, it's huge. Pull back, pray, gather people together, pour into those people before we set out on the project and on the task in front of us. And prayer also teaches them that they also must go into the harvest. We can't pray for, for God to send other people into the harvest 
and at the same time, not be willing to go ourselves. So there is inherent in, in this command an availability, an offering of ourselves into the harvest, and a commitment to go into the harvest. So as the disciples, they've got to say, God, I'm going to pray for other people, but you're, I'm going as well. I'm, I'm also engaged in this mission and sending out into the harvest as well. Jesus says, a disciple is not above his teacher. So we can't pour into others and say, go into the harvest if we're not engaged in the harvest. That's called hypocrisy. You know, it's pulling people together and saying, okay, uh, yeah, I want you to go, you know, do this task, but I, I'm, I'm going to sit back. Well, are you doing the task? Well, no, I'm not doing the task. I'm asking you to do the task. Well, you need to show me how to do the task. That's what discipleship is. It's showing, actually showing you how to live life in the kingdom and how to spread and advance the gospel. Otherwise, we're trying to be servants that are above our masters or try to do it backwards. So that's his ministry, that's his motive, and that's his mission. But let's close this way. How should this affect us? How should this affect us individually, corporately, and especially as we think about stepping into the future together? Just three, three thoughts, and then we're going to sing together. Three quick thoughts. Number one, I think this teaches us that we must believe and embrace God's personal love for us individually, personally. There's a verse in 1 John that says, we have come to know and believe God's love for us. Now, why do I say that? Well, I say that because our story starts not in verse 37 with the disciples, but in verse 36 with the sheep. Notice verse 36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see, we begin our story not a disciple hearing about the crowds, not as a disciple hearing about the sheep that are helpless. We begin our story in the crowd as a sheep, as the harassed, as the helpless. And we begin our story with Jesus looking at us, looking at you in your, in my condition, in our helpless estate. And he's just not looking, but he's feeling for us. He's feeling and entering into our suffering and looking out at you. Do you know that he looked out at you? You were in the crowd. And out of his heart of love for you, noticed you, came after you, pursued you, showed you, desired to be your shepherd. Desired for you not to wander anymore. And, and you wandered into all kinds of different things, didn't you? You experimented with all kinds of different paths and all kinds of different areas to try to find life. You dug all kinds of different cisterns. I know I did. I tried everything. And it's his personal love that pulled me out as a loving shepherd does. It's his personal love that looked out upon you 
and it's, pers- and it's this personal love that he has for you right this very second. He's not stopped looking at you. He's not stopped noticing you. He's not stopped feeling compassion for you. And we just don't get this. How can God love a sinner? How can God love me with all this stuff I've done, with him knowing all this stuff that I've done? We don't get it. And Jesus explained it to his disciples through a lot of different stories when he talked about the love of God. And there's one familiar story that blew the disciples away. And he, he told the story about the prodigal son. Do you guys remember the story of the prodigal son? He just tells the story. It's this guy, this, this son that is, is raised in this good home, good, you know, good stock, good family, uh, every opportunity available to him, every gift and resource given to him, nothing held back. The father loves the son, but the son just went crazy in his head, you know? And he goes to his father and he says, you know, instead of being in a relationship with you, I think life is better on the outside. I think life is better on my own. And so he actually asks the father for the full inheritance. And when he asks the father for his full inheritance, he basically says, I'd like to end and sever the relationship at this point. I'd like to uh, calculate your relationship with me in terms of how much you would give me in the future. I'd rather just have that now. We'll settle our accounts and I'll go my own way. And the amazing thing in the story, Jesus says, is that the father said, okay. Okay. So the son takes his inheritance and Jesus says, he spends it. Listen to this. He he spends it on alcohol, drugs, booze, partying, and women. Jesus telling the story. He spent his money on parties and on prostitutes. That's what he did. That's what he did with the, with the loving generosity and the extravagance of his father. He just spends it on himself, living in selfishness, trying to find life on his own, probably experiencing guilt along the way, but just drowning it all along on his own selfish desires and doing his own thing. And then he just ends up, you know, at this house, you know, working this horrible job, as a hired hand, and he's not getting any food. Nobody's taking care of him. He's harassed, and he's helpless, and he's like a sheep without a shepherd. And he looks out, and he gazes upon the pig slop. Literally, he's looking at what the pigs are eating, and he's so hungry, nobody's caring for him, that he he actually starts to uh, want to eat what they're eating, the pig slop. Now listen, some of you know exactly what this prodigal son was going through, because you had to stare at the pig slop You had to eat the pig slop. Anybody eat the pig slop? I ate the pig slop. Some of us have to eat the pig slop before we come to our senses. We come to our senses at all kinds of different places in the story, Jesus says. But for this prodigal son, he came to his senses and he says, what am I doing? I'm going to go back to my father. I know I've severed the relationship with him. I know I've crossed every line and every boundary that there is, but at least I'll offer myself to him as a slave and as a servant. And maybe he'll at least take me back so that I can eat again, so I can eat healthy again. So he's on his way back. He's got that journey back to his father. And you can just imagine what he's thinking. He's going to have to explain himself. He's, going to, he's, he's feeling so guilty inside. How would you feel as a father? 
you gave your inheritance away and you're just thinking, gosh, this, this son just blew it. This son who I just poured my life into is going to carry my name and take on the family business. And he's just been a disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And that's how we would think about this son. And that's how the son would think about his father. But, but Jesus says, while he was still a long way off. Jesus says, while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father saw him as a sheep without a shepherd in a helpless and a broken condition. He saw him. And while he was coming back, it says the father felt compassion. That's the love of God for prodigals. He feels compassion. He feels compassion for you. And not only does he feel compassion, he acts on that compassion. And Jesus says the father ran and embraced him and kissed him. He threw a party for his son returning home. And and Jesus says this is the way God's heart is for prodigals. For you, for me. See, we will not do great in loving one another and in loving the lost if we don't believe that we are loved. It's got to start there. Can you remember being a long way off? Can you just pause for a moment and remember being a long way off? Maybe you're here today and you're like, I am. I'm a long way off. Father felt for you. Father feels for you. He reaches out to you. He gazes out upon you with compassion. He notices you the way Jesus notices, noticed the disciples. You think, man, how in the world could I ever reach my neighbor? How could I reach somebody who's, you know, just lost in their own selfishness? It's because they're a long way off and so are you. You got a lot in common with that person. A whole lot in common. You are on the same road, the same trajectory as they might be. They might be a little bit farther down the road than you were on when you came to your senses. But you can reach out to anyone who's drug addicted, porn addicted, sexually immoral, overworked, lonely, rich, poor, Muslim, Mormon, atheist. Just a bunch of people who are a long way off like you and like me. I mean, I was a long way off. I was a long way off. And the father did not give up on his love for me. You were a long way off. You were a long way off. You were way out there, man. And you don't remember that, but God does. Maybe, maybe one other person in the room does. Maybe you call up your old buddy, he does. You were a long way off. The Father notices you and he hasn't stopped noticing you. He hasn't stopped caring and loving for you. Next, we have to ask God to help us notice people like that. We have to ask God to help us notice people. So when we see the crowds, we feel the way that Jesus feels. See, feeling compassion comes from seeing their condition. That's what verse 36 says. Paul Miller in his book, Love Walked Among Us, he writes it like this. He says, often we don't know how to begin. That's true, isn't it? We're like, I don't even know how to have compassion like that. He says, we don't know how to begin, but we can look. We can look. Everybody just look around. That's it. You can look. You can, every, good job. You're all doing that. I'm surprised you're all doing it. You, usually preachers ask for that kind of thing and 
People are like, yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm that guy. I'm not doing that. Thanks. Not, not with you on that. Thank you. No thanks. But we can look. We can look. Not, I mean, that's, that's not people watch, you know, where you're people watching and you're, you're kind of evaluating their story and stuff like that. Uh, but we can look. He says, we might not feel compassion, but we can concentrate on the other person. By keeping the other person in front of us, we're opening the door to compassion. So I want to encourage you really practically to do one thing before November the 9th comes. Take some time and take a long look into the crowds. Just take a long look into the crowds. That's all. That's your spiritual assignment. Just go somewhere and look. If you're wondering, what kind of people does the Lord want us to minister to as we think about the future? Go to the library and look around. Take a seat at the library and just look around. It might be a little awkward. Grab a cup of coffee. It'd be helpful to have a book or a magazine so you're not a creeper or a creepy guy. I didn't think about that ahead of time. You could look creepy if you don't have something in front of you. Uh, but take a look around. Look at the crowds. You can go to the cinema. You can go to the movie theater. Go 30 minutes before a movie and just sit down. Look at the people and dream. Think. Feel. Ask God to burden you. Could we be a church that looks like Cinemark? And I am not kidding. I literally go inside Walmart. I love Walmart. I buy all my clothes at Walmart. <laughs> Just kidding. If you buy your clothes at Walmart, that's awesome. I, I, I do. Anyway, uh, I'll, go, I'll go to Walmart. I'll go to Target. I'll go to Costco. And sometimes I'll just look, and literally, it's, just, it's the Lord will will remind me that this is the the this is the this is the city, man, and this is the way the church should look. Just go, just look around and say, this is this is the crowd that Jesus ministered to. He went to that diverse uh, crowds, and he looked around and he felt compassion, and that's what we ought to do. We ought to go to places like that, look around, and say, Lord, help me to be a person that can minister to, to the crowds, to the people. At the, go to the mall. Spend an hour and look at the crowds at the mall. Let's do this. Let's be a church. Let's be a church where you can belong before you believe. Where you can belong before you believe. Let's not create these you know, barriers. Let's not get it wrong like the disciples got it wrong and we often get it wrong. Uh, you can experience life on the inside at Grace Church, no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're tempted by, no matter what your doubts are, no matter what your struggles are, we're here. We're here for the city. We're here for the community. We're here for North Dallas. That's what grace means. And we want to be a church like that. And lastly, we got to pray earnestly for the Lord to send out laborers into the harvest. I'm so encouraged by what, what just has recently developed through prayer in our uh, youth ministry. We challenged the students to, to put, an, a, put a name up on a board, a first name up on a board. And throughout the summer, we prayed for those, for those students. And now this fall, they're actually taking steps to, to take a name off that prayer board of people that we prayed for and actually go and share with them uh, a, a book that, that, dis, that shows the gospel and to follow it up with a conversation. 
And so far, 20 students, middle school students and high school students, have taken this challenge to go and share the gospel. And that's a, that's a, can we give it up for middle schoolers and high schoolers for doing that? That's right. And, you know, you might look at 20s. I mean, that's not, I mean, it's, it's 20 people. 20 people is an army, man. 20 people experiencing what it's like to go out into the, the crowds and share the love of God. That's because they're, they've prayed and they're an answer to their own prayer. And that's what it means to be an answer to your own prayer and to pray that the Lord would send out labors into his harvest. On your way out today, we've got a red bracelet. I meant to bring one up here today. Can you throw that bracelet to me? Thank you, Craig. Uh, It says, pray for the square. Pray for the square. It's a red bracelet. We want to encourage you to take this as an application of praying that the Lord would send out laborers into the harvest, the size of it, the scope of it, the difficulty of it. That means, holy cow, we've got to hit our knees and we've got to pray. And because we're sheep, we will forget to pray. So we've got a bracelet to help us to remember to pray. So take this and wear it and, uh, and just remember to pray about the amazing opportunities in front of us. And let's join hands as a church as we gaze into the future and say for crying out loud, because we were sheep without a shepherd and we are overflowing with the love of God, prodigals, 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 we are coming after you. We're coming after you. We're not afraid of you. We're we're not that different from you. We know what it's like to be far from God, and we know what it's like to experience life in the kingdom, life in the kingdom. And when you think of Frisco Square, and I think of of prodigals, honestly would love to see us as a church embracing and just be, be filled with our friends and the people that are in our neighborhoods. But I, I have a burden that we wouldn't just think seating capacity when we think Frisco Square. You guys with me on that? Seating capacity. It's not about how many people get into a building. Now, Frisco is fast growing and it's diverse. So we should be concerned. If, if we became an army of people going after the prodigals, we'd pack a building out next week, no issue, no problem. No, 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 hardly any challenge if the Spirit of God blows in our hearts and moves us to reach out to the people around us. But it's not just about seating capacity. It's about sending capacity. Frisco Square is not about a building. It's not brick and mortar. Please hear me in this. It's not about just putting a building somewhere and just let's pack the building out and high-five each other and give each other slaps on the butt because we're real proud of ourselves because we're all in here and we're all just happy and go lucky. No, it's about packing the place out with prodigals who are far from God and then sending people out into the crowds and into the cities of Dallas and around the world. It's a sending capacity. Frisco Square gives us an incredible sending capacity. It's not just about getting as many people in one room as possible. We all stand, and I'm going to close this in prayer. We're just going to close by just taking a moment and, and dedicating whatever the Lord is speaking to you. Father, your grace is amazing to us. We, we couldn't get cleaned up before we arrived in, in your family. We couldn't make everything right. You didn't give us a bunch of hoops to jump through. You left the 99 and you came after us. And we know and and embrace and believe all over again. And for the very first time, maybe for somebody in here today, the love that you have for us. 
We're prodigals, all of us. We were a long way off, but your eyes of compassion landed on us. And that's why we've experienced your kingdom and your family. So we thank you for that, praise you for that, and we just want to embrace that. We want that to be a growing experience as a church, that we know your love. Lord, we also want to be a church that believes and embraces the idea, idea God, that we're sent out. You sent your disciples out, embracing your love, but also sent out into the crowds to feel your compassion, to be stretched beyond their, their, their limits, to, to, to just cry out to you and say, God, this is so far beyond us. This is so beyond what we're capable of doing. But your grace is sufficient even in our weaknesses. You're not asking us to be strong. You're just asking us to be dependent and you're asking us to embrace our sentness into the city. So God, help us because we, we can't do it on our own and we need your mercy and we need your grace. And all of God's people agreeing with that said, amen, amen. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.